0: Hello, and welcome to the Stacked Podcast, brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams, hosted by me, Harry Gollop. Stacked with incredible content from the most influential and successful data teams, interviewing industry experts who share their invaluable journeys, groundbreaking projects, and most importantly, their key learnings. So get ready to join us as we uncover the dynamic world of modern data. This week on the Stacked Data podcast, I'm joined by McKinley Hyden, the Director of Analytics Business Impact at the Financial Times. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of data adoption and how to build and foster a data culture. McKinley's role revolves around bridging the chasm between data and the business. It's about ensuring alignment and most importantly, measuring the impact of the data team's efforts. McKinley's energy and passion for the space is infectious, she says her strategies and insights, as well as the common pitfalls. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, McKinley. Welcome to the Data Stacked podcast. It's great to have you on. We're in the Financial Times office. How are you doing today?
1: Good. Thank you so much for having me here. I really wish we'd been able to get into the proper recording studio that I promised you, but luckily you're prepared. So this is great.
0: Yes. No. We found a, a nice little fire room in the in the basement of the Financial Times office. Very glamorous. <laughs> very glamorous. But today we're going to be talking about the importance of data adoption and, and how to build and foster a, a data culture. In today's world, there's a, a huge reliance on tooling, but are they always the answer? That's really what we're going to uncover today. So. I think first off, McKinley, it'd be great just to hear about your own journey into data and and really what your role is and how your role has developed into what it is today.
1: Yeah, so I frequently describe myself as a a atypical data person. This was not my destiny. In fact, I think my career comes at a big shock, as a big shock to my entire family. So my dad was an actor. My mom was an MBA lawyer, business person extraordinaire. Ended her days and not literally, but I mean, her working days, <laughs> her working life at McKinsey and Deloitte. So I always kind of felt like there was, you know, they were on either side of a, a spectrum. And as a young girl, I very much followed in my father's footsteps, spouting poetry. And so I think everybody thought that was the route I was going to take. But actually, I came out of my English literature undergraduate degree and just kind of immediately threw myself into the world of business. And I, I think actually that reflects an interest in trying to figure out the secrets of humankind and, you know, what motivates people? How do they work? Why, why do they make these kinds of decisions? And so actually, from that perspective, my career makes a lot of sense that I've wound up at an institution like the Financial Times and have created a team analytics business impact that is exactly this. It's kind of looking at that gap between data capabilities and assets and then the actual value. Because what you really need between those two things is people you know decision making and people to do things and so i think that's kind of what i bring to the table is trying to line all of those things up and and actually make sure that people can do the right things in order to get value from data
0: amazing so you, it sounds like you always had that you know ability to want to ask questions and, and uncover what's going on under the under the surface
1: yeah I'm, I'm pretty curious and i think you need to be for in this kind of in this kind of work
0: Brilliant. brilliant. So what is your specific title here at the Financial Times?
1: So I'm the director of analytics business impact and I have sort of a love hate relationship with the name of my team. It sounds terribly, you know, W1A kind of jargony on one hand, but I actually think it does reflect really the purpose of the team. So we are looking to create impact with our analytics and our data capabilities for the business. And so a lot of what my team is doing is kind of is looking at both at a a more strategic level and a more tactical one. Okay, where are the opportunities for data analytics to drive more value? So it could be something as large as like a data democratization initiative. So which would involve, you know, transforming data, changing the tooling, creating upskilling people, training and also then looking at processes and so on and so forth. But it could be something as granular as saying, okay, we produce, I don't know, these 10 models. What are they really doing for us? You know, are they really delivering the right kind of value? And if they're not, then then why not? Where's the breakdown? Were they not configured correctly? Or maybe they're just not being used appropriately. So it's I think a lot of what my team is doing is is kind of diagnosing areas of Friction or opportunity.
0: That makes perfect sense. So your, your role is more about bridging this gap between data and the business, making sure there's that alignment and enablement of, of data, and ensuring that everyone at the FT is is getting value from the data that is being produced, and, and not just doing data for for the sake of it.
1: Exactly. I think you know data that doesn't really drive business value. You know, what's it worth? What's the What's the point? <laughs> And likewise, you know, it's it's also making sure that we're, we are being really focused on business outcomes and um, ensuring that we know the the full context as well of the decisions that need to be made. I think this is why sometimes it's so challenging is because you've got the analysts and the data people who are in the numbers and have to do all of that complex work to to extract insights and meaning, but on the other hand, there is how could they possibly know all of the context and the realities of somebody, you know, within the business and spent years in that field. Absolutely. And so even even though I think, you know, I'm really I'm really proud of the people who work at this company in both the business side and the data side, and we have very, very strong relationships, I just think it's it's just unreasonable to expect a consistently deep level of knowledge exchange for that always to go swimmingly, which is why I think you need teams like mine or, you know, some way of managing that gap and trying to figure out, okay, how do you really collectively create value together in a way that is repeatable and efficient?
0: It makes sense. I, before we dive into, I suppose, the the how and the, mm. the the what, I'd be really keen to understand what your perspective is on, on how mature data is at the FT, because this kind of role is isn't something that we see in many organizations, it's one that I'm definitely seeing pop up a lot more. So yeah. yeah, what sort of level of maturity would you say you guys are at?
1: Well, we're actually running a data and AI capability maturity assessment. I always have to think about saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, right now with some fab consultants, actually. So I'll be able to tell you a lot more um, in mid-November. But I think the thing is, the FT actually has a number of brands and sub-companies. So I, I think that the maturity differs, you know, depending on which area you're talking about. For our kind of core subscriptions business, I always joke with my peers how we're always like lamenting the state of things and how, you know, terribly behind we are. And then the moment we go to a conference or speak to you know people in other companies, we always kind of clap ourselves on the back with actually how great of a position we are in. So I guess I would say you know compared to sort of the digital natives the ubers the deliveroos like no we're we're not on that level and but but how could we be we started in 1888 like <laughs> we've had a huge digital transformation and so i think if you compare us to a lot of legacy brands and certainly legacy media companies i i'd say we're we're doing you know pretty well i think we're probably quite data mature that, by the way, that does not mean that there is an area for area of areas for improvement. Otherwise, why would you need a team like mine, really? I actually think that this kind of function is in itself a sign of data maturity. Because in the same way that an elite athlete is going to need to have much more sophisticated methods to, to keep at that
0: support. Well,
1: exactly. As opposed to the, you know couch muffin who just <laughs> who just needs to get out and like walk for 20 minutes or you know what I mean like it's a so I think the fact that my team exists shows that we are quite data mature already but we still have very very high ambitions to be more
0: good well that's great I, I couldn't agree more with you I think you know the, the fact that you have a, a team focusing on what you do it's just a sign of, of that maturity and and that wanting to get the most out of, of what you're doing mm. I think this role in some of the the smaller startups and and scale-ups it's maybe sort of compounded into something that the leadership has to think about but it's not necessarily it's you know it's a bit more of an afterthought Mm -hmm. and obviously you guys have have grown it into a a full department which is is great to see so now I'm really keen to understand a bit more about that sort of how you know how how do you bridge the gap how do you go about doing that?
1: Yeah it's a good question I mean it's well and it, it, it actually just involves a lot of questions. So we've used kind of different ways of doing this. But one of the things I really like doing is that kind of Toyota five whys is just keep asking why until we get to the heart of the problem. I think one of the issues that I see sometimes in this kind of area is that the, the root cause isn't surfaced and therefore you're just going to keep putting a band-aid on a symptom without really solving the issue. So one of the things that my team really tries to do as much as possible, and it's actually a lot harder than you think, is just keep asking that, well, but then why does this happen? But so why does that happen? And why does that happen? And just keep going until we feel really satisfied that we've gotten to the root cause of something and try to put our bias to one side, because I guess... You know, I've been at the company for 10 years, some of the people in my team have been here for a while as well. And so sometimes it's easy to just assume that you know the answer. And so we really try as much as possible to start from a fresh perspective, even if, even if we're talking to somebody that we've worked with for years and years and years, just really try to treat every kind of interaction and diagnosis as like just a complete blank slate and, and just get to the bottom of what's actually happening. So that would, be, that would be kind of one of the things we do. Another thing that we, a kind of framework that we use is a lot of our projects are kind of divided into sort of four categories. So there is the data itself, the tools, the people skills, and then kind of a, I hesitate to say it, but a kind of culture aspect, which encompasses beliefs and kind of feelings as well, because that's attitudes make make a big difference, but also kind of how people are organized and structured, any kind of routine processes and workflows or expectations would kind of fit, fit into that into that world. So we might look at, so if, for example, a business owner, maybe even a data person comes with a particular problem or opportunity, we might try to do that diagnosis using that sort of framework and kind of sense check, where do we think Where is the issue? Now, the issue might be across all of those four things, and and we've definitely seen that. But it's nice to have that kind of, it helps us from automatically saying, okay, well, this is a tools problem. You need to kind of ask those why questions across all four areas to make sure that you're not leaving something actually that could be quite critical on the table.
0: Yeah, I think the, the constant asking of, of why is such a good point. We can sometimes be too easy to take the first answer yeah. and the easiest answer and I think stakeholders can you know, they they want to give you the the first thing that comes to their head, but that's sometimes as you say not the not the root cause. So constantly digging becoming almost that that annoyance uh, to...
1: <laughs> we try to be very charming <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's I suppose it's helping you know change their perspective and getting them to, to critically think which in itself is a is a skill which I think many many don't have on the don't have initially anyway in mm. the, the fast-paced lives that, the, the, that we live for sure so what are some of the reasons for I suppose lack of a adoption and because that I suppose is then the next stage mm-hmm. on right you understand the why now mm-hmm. you've built something that's going to work and is going to help them but you know what is the reason that that data product isn't going to be be used
1: again it could be a number of things I mean again this is where kind of checking your bias at the door is really really helpful because you know sometimes it's really easy to think you know oh well you know they just don't they just don't get it. I've done this amazing analysis. I've done this amazing piece of work and they just don't understand. Or, you know, some people can make it really personally. Oh, they just don't like it. They don't like data, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes that literally is it. It's just somebody is, is maybe really uncomfortable. But I think most of the time it's lack, just utter lack of awareness. I mean, we really assume, you know, for example, we've got this insights hub where we've we we upload all of the analysis we do. We've got kind of a glossary and all this this stuff. To be honest, it's sort of metastasized beyond all control over the years, and we're looking to redo it. But actually, it's you know we did a little bit of a, a survey to just find out how many people even knew about it, and it was so sad. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. But but without before seeing those numbers. We could have just assumed that maybe maybe people just didn't like it, or maybe, but actually, so they just didn't know. And so, so awareness is a big thing. Tied to that is just discoverability. How easy is it to actually find something? Again, I think because we know where things are, we assume that other people know, and that is just really not true. So you start with just the basics, then you kind of go up in terms of sophistication. Like, okay, so is it discoverable? You know, are they aware of it? but then do they, do they understand? Do they understand what it is? Do they understand how to use it? Again, that's assuming that people just know how, what to do with a piece of output or, you know, is a bit of a leap, that's not always the case. So, you know, then you'd be looking at something like that. And then you'd be looking at, you know, actually it's the degree to which it can really drive action. You know, again, despite the immensely high quality we have in terms of our analysts and our data people, you know, sometimes just even the smallest omission of context can make a, a piece of data analytical output unactionable, you know. And so, it's, so sometimes it's also figuring out how we can capture that information more thoroughly up front and make sure that that can be incorporated into kind of any output that comes out. But so typically those would be the things that I was I would be looking at. So, you know, can it, can it be understood? Can it be actioned? Um, Brilliant.
0: I think, you know, the, the first one is, do, do they even know it's there? That yeah. discoverability point. Um, yeah. There's a lot of churn within companies. People leave, people join. There's so much information to take in. Do they know that this this product, this tool is, is there for them to, to utilise and how easy it is to find them? I know whenever you join somewhere new, just understanding, you know, where things are stored is such a, a key issue. And I think that's something that data teams need to emphasise especially for when you know, it's really critical or can be really critical for, for their role. Mm. So how do you combat discoverability, usability, all of the points that you mean? How, how are you looking to, to combat these challenges?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think this is where I see the data industry perhaps changing and, and evolving And recognizing that to be really successful, it needs to incorporate other disciplines into its arsenal. So, for example, you know, one thing that we've been kind of skirting around is knowledge management. You know, that's a discipline in itself. And I think that data as a discipline could really benefit from kind of a more recognized knowledge management kind of component strategy. You know, what do you do with all that insight? How do you make those into um, discrete products? How do you maintain them? How do you optimize for them? How do you spread them across, you know, a large organization or um, maybe a, a slightly siloed one? This all takes a certain skill set that isn't necessarily on data analysis 101. <laughs> you know, so I think. Uh, A lot of, again, what my team brings to the table is sort of an ability to reach out to the right subject matter expert within the wider FT to kind of to find these opportunities where our goals and incentives are aligned so we can partner together. So, for example, actually on this, you know, Insights Hub, which is a very real example that we're currently working with, you know, I've been working with the, you know, a fabulous member of the central comms team to create some ideas for a new Kind of knowledge hub, insights hub on the internet, and she's helped with comms plans for other kind of data-related initiatives like metrics that matter. And it's just been it's just been a phenomenal partner. And I think we need to be doing that more of that kind of work to address some of the issues that we've just described.
0: Yeah, I think they, um, you know, finding them internal stakeholders and, and using them to champion that's obviously you, the example you gave is, is very good around sort of that that process mm. and, and the longer term strategy mm. other initiatives i've heard about have been sort of a, a data week and they have mm-hmm. um you know the data is put at the forefront of everyone's minds for for a whole week and they have you know the individual teams not mm. the data teams singing about their success stories which again just helps Try and shift that mindset, I think, in the in in the culture of the business and puts data on on people's minds. It's so easy for us to get tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, as data professionals, that everyone cares about data as much as we do. Uh
1: (laughs) But this this goes back to I think what we first started talking about, about why it is so important to diagnose the situation and get to the heart of it. Because actually, if you can identify you know, solutions to problems that your internal stakeholders have and say, hey, if we just did this this way, you wouldn't have this problem. If we use this kind of data, you know, change this process so that we used um, data analytics in this way. I mean, who's not going to sign up to that? But it is getting, it's identifying the problem correctly. And then I think it just becomes so much easier to get buy-in and get support even if you don't have big budgets, which you know I certainly don't. So,
0: yeah, I mean, your role, as we've already mentioned, is you know it's relatively new mm-hmm. uh, and rare within within the industry. You've already touched upon, I suppose, the the need and the reason for for why this this role come into to existence and what value you're driving. But how do you define success in your role? Is there a metric that you metrics that you use to to understand what you know, success has been over the next six, mm. 12 months?
1: That's a good question. And it is something we're looking at. I think, and in fact, my team is, is looking at trying to better quantify the value of data, which is something the entire, oh. <laughs> yeah, this is what I've concluded. Um, so, you know, and I think at best, it's just, you know, it's just going to be, you just have to think about how you're going to use that information. So we're, we're just, trying to do something that I think at least gives us a better sense of how to prioritize and so on. So for, for my team, we don't know. We don't have a God metric or an overarching number that we optimize for. It's really kind of on a case-by-case basis. So for example, for Data Academy, you know, we had a certain number of signups that we were targeting, which we, by the way, smashed. You know, for data democratization, we also had goals um, around the Looker migration and and what kind of take up that we wanted. So it's more kind of broken down based on what we're hoping to achieve with initiatives. I think, you know, my team as of it kind of really started in kind of the tail end of 2020. So I think this, this next year, my goal is to, is to further refine how we think about success as a team and maybe look to start having more consistent metrics for success over the the projects. So watch this space.
0: Work in progress. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Well, look, I think it'd be great to get your take on what a data culture is, because it seems like your role is very centered around, I suppose, fostering this data culture.
1: Adding to the list of things that I have a love-hate relationship with, data culture, as a phrase, would be one of them. I think, I, I do feel like data... The industry just loves a buzzword. I'm sure we're not the only industry that loves a buzzword.
0: Well, there's uh, data cultures on every single job ad I see. Uh. You know, ev- Everyone's got a data-driven organization. <laughs>
1: yeah, I just... Oh, man. Yeah. So, but as much as I try to deny it as a phrase, I think the concept of it is actually super important. The problem that I find with it is that it's just so... It's so kind of non specific. And and in some ways, again, that's one of its benefits, is because culture is a mixture of things. We've already talked about some of them, you know, beliefs, feelings, processes, expectations, all this kind of stuff. So I just think it would sort of behoove people to be clear about what they're kind of talking about. And that's sort of how I approach data culture is I try to separate the components. And certainly for any particular initiative there might be certain components that i'm looking at more than others so for example with something like data academy emotion is a, is a really big aspect of that you know when we did a, a learning needs assessment you know it was really interesting to see the kind of emotive language that comes up you know some people feel very freaked out by data and numbers i've seen truly brilliant people i mean people who could you know intellectually buy and sell me you know <laughs> three times over just crumble at like basic maths. And it's not because they can't do it, they absolutely can. There's just, there's an, an emotion there. And so, you know, for certain projects, I think you do need to really think about, you know, what's, what's, what are the feelings here? You know, is there gonna be a crisis of confidence that we need to take into consideration? For other projects, you might be looking actually more at workflows. So for Metrics That Matter, which is all about, you know, defining a framework for decision making and metrics around the organization, I'm working with um, our delivery department that does a lot, amongst many other things, kind of project management and guiding these large scale programs. You know, we're working together to figure, to kind of incorporate new ways of defining KPIs and measuring success that, again, have kind of come from the data and analytics discipline. And that's, again, a sort of data culture initiative that's looking at workflows and expected behaviors, less so emotion. So I think it's about splitting it out and really, again, trying to kind of target what you're looking for. Because if you just say data culture, that's I mean, that's mad. That's just, you'll just... So open. Yeah, it's just it's just too open. So I think you just, with data culture, you just always need to really define what it is that you're looking at. As I think you can probably tell, categorization is a big thing for me. I'm always trying to break things down and just understand, really, what is the nature of the thing that we're looking at? What are the various components?
0: Yeah, I suppose you could bring it back to what we were talking about previously, that with them more than the four points around discoverability yeah. knowledge and and they they really will build out how you could define a, a data culture and, and the data culture of specific products data products i think that maybe it would be a an easier way of identifying the success of it because yeah. it's then pushed into that that category for that team and as you mentioned you know there are some parts of the organization that have a uh, you know have a better data culture, Mm. data literacy, data adoption than there are other areas. And I suppose that's an easier way of of quantifying it.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So McKinley, look, it'd be great to, I suppose, really get a a real world example. This is what the the podcast is, is very much about. We were at an event hosted by Google the other week. And I know one of your other team members, Jono, was speaking about your your look at migration seems to have been a a highly successful project in terms of, you know, that data democratization. So I'd love to unpick that project with you and and how your role was sort of pivotal in in making that a success.
1: Well, I first wanted to say that I think there were many roles that were pivotal to that, to the success. (laughs) And I certainly don't want to take the credit. In fact, John, who you mentioned was, was really kind of the band leader, the puppet master, whatever <laughs> analogy you want to use, It's just instrumental in making this happen. But I think my my team skill set was a nice compliment to to help land this. But essentially, what we had we had this situation where so we were using Chardeo, may it rest in peace, and it had just it just completely spiraled out of control. And it's there's no it's not any one person's problem. But I think this is a pretty familiar situation for a lot of companies. You know, there's this
0: a BI tool running out of control. <laughs> oh, I know,
1: I know. Totally shocking. I know we're the only ones to have had this happen. It was just it was just such a mess. And we found ourselves in a situation where we had a very a hard deadline. I mean, Charlotte was literally going to be just decommissioned on a particular date. And there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, that was just, you know, we were facing into the very real possibility that just... All of our dashboards you know we just suddenly you know go and that was it into the ether into the ether exactly then you could really measure the value of,
0: of <laughs> them, i suppose so what was your i suppose your goal then of this project you it yeah. sounds like you were maybe strong-armed into a into a, a migration with chartio being decommissioned yeah but you know what when you then had what was the strategic goal of, of moving to look at
1: so I feel like as we've been talking, I've been sort of speaking in initiatives, but I think we we do have a lot of initiatives that are all leading up to the same thing, which is just advancing our data maturity. So the whole Looker thing was ultimately a part of data democratization, the purpose of which was to make you know was to enable data driven decision making. Wow, that's a lot of D's. You know, easy, fast, and, and Fun, if possible, and the belief was very much that just anybody in the organization should really be enabled to make decisions with our with our fabulous data. So we'd always anticipated that we would address the tools, the chartio thing, <laughs> forced our hand a little bit in terms of our timeline. But I guess this is it's important to understand that context because it shows the lens with which we were then ex- assessing options. we didn't just want chart A replacement, we were really trying to think about that larger goal of what do we really need if that is our ambition. Long-term right. Vision. Exactly. And again, I'll refer back to that the, the kind of the tenants I described earlier of you know data tools, people skills, and then the culture. You know, we were that's how we were addressing data democratization. So going specifically to Looker, we did a you know a long assessment of lots of different tools that we could use And we had very explicit criteria that we were judging it on based on these these outcomes. Now, once we'd finally decided on Looker, which definitely scored...
0: Highest. Yeah, for (laughs) sure.
1: Based on what we wanted to accomplish. Now, that's not going to be true for everybody, right? And I just want to be super clear. They are the market leader, at least I think they are. And just because that's true doesn't mean that they're the right Mm -hmm. fit for you. But they were definitely the right fit for what we wanted to accomplish.
0: And what you wanted to accomplish was this truly sort of self-serve culture and... Yeah,
1: self-serve, but also there were efficiencies on the kind of technical side. And I think what we want to do is, you know, we are still chasing kind of, you know, one single source of the truth. I know it's the Holy Grail. I know, but we're we're still chasing that dream. Um, but, you know, there's just, there was a lot of things about, you know, it's not just the front end functionality you know, yeah that this exactly it just it all makes it um so much more efficient and aligned with where we we wanted to take our data and our BI strategy but for the actual migration we ended up deciding on two goals and they're going to sound really really basic but they're actually really hard we wanted to maintain business continuity So what we didn't want to have happen is that there was a dashboard that suddenly just disappeared that prevented people from doing their jobs. We absolutely do have those things. So we wanted to maintain business continuity and we also wanted to manage expectations. And this goes back to what we were talking about before emotions, you know, we we wanted people to be informed and aware and, and this was no small feat. And so we ended up, and I think this is where, and I hope Jono would agree, I think this is where my team you know, added a really useful skill set is that at some point we were facing this very, very strict timeline. We had over 800 dashboards in Chart.io with literally thousands of charts. And we didn't have the time or the resource in which to fully migrate. So my team said, okay, you know what? Actually, we're looking at this wrong. Let's actually just find out what is the essential information that's really contained in some of these dashboards and create a whole workflow by which we can inform, you know, this newly designed suite of company dashboards that basically tries, you know, it's kind of that 80-20 rule, right? Try to fulfill 80% of the requirements with 20% output, right? So that's exactly what we did. And we, I mean, it literally consisted of speaking to a number of different stakeholders and having a very prescribed kind of interview process where we distilled the requirements and it ended up really enriching the final offer of what we produced. And it meant that we accomplished both of our goals. Business continuity was, was great. Nothing fell through the cracks. And at every point, the stakeholders were properly informed about the status of their thing. We also realized in the process just how much information was out there that was essentially like a nice to have and a kind of you know, a safety blanket.
0: I think I remember Jono saying that you, you decommissioned 200 dashboards or something it like that. It was
1: mad, and yeah. So they
0: were just not being used and not being utilized within the, the organization.
1: Yeah, it also, what was so cool about this kind of process of interviewing people and really getting to the heart of the need is we also identified things that weren't even in the dashboards that would be useful to have, you know. And so we just, a lot of what my team looks at is what's the decision? What's the decision? What's the action? What's the decision? What's the action? You know, and just that's constantly what we're trying to uncover. Once you have that, it's easy enough to design a dashboard or a chart, she says. I mean, I realize that that is also a skill set (laughs) and not always easy. But you know what I mean? That's that's one of the the biggest drivers of value is just identifying what the decision is and what the action
0: needs to be. I think that's such great advice, I think, for any data professional in across any part of the uh, of the the lifecycle, whether you're yeah. an analyst, data scientist working with a, a business user, you know what is the action, what's the decision, how is that going to be impacting the business? If you can understand and answer that, yeah, then you know you it gives you your your technical road back and you know pulling it all the way back to data engineering. You might not be working specifically with a business stakeholder, but your data science counterpart or whoever, you know, what are they trying to answer if you can then, you know, remove the blockers and and get straight to the core of the problem rather than designing something that maybe looks great and it seems great in your head?
1: Yeah, I think that's perfectly well said. And it's just, again, I think it just shows the nature of, you know, data and analytics as a discipline that it has gotten in many cases so advanced that actually it is relatively easy to lose sight of the decision and the action that's going to be taken. So it's, it's by no means a silly problem.
0: No, 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 definitely not. So what was some of the biggest obstacles from your point of this look of migration?
1: Ah, how much time do we have? <laughs> Obviously, the time scale was, it was challenging, just, you know, typically not having enough people, but also I just think there's just the sheer quantity and how do you really distill requirements across? You know, um, oh my gosh! Yeah. Uh, so I think that was. I mean, it was. Just, it was just all very hard, <laughs> frankly. But again, I think we ended up having a really great team of people across, you know, a few disciplines, including, you know, we had a product manager, a delivery person, lots of people from data and analytics with complementary skill sets. And so I think, and of course, we were working very closely with the business. And that was the other thing is like we we had, I think, a really great level of engagement from stakeholders who would really give time to say actually no this is this is really what we need this again this is the decision we need to make this is the support we need so I think you know again ultimately it was a success but it was just the sheer amount of work was really pretty daunting and I think there were multiple times where we all Thought. Oh boy, this is just
0: cry in the corner.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is just this is just not going to go well. And I, I think actually, it's so interesting. I haven't um, thought about the looker migration for a while because it did happen a little while ago. But it actually really is something to be super super proud of that we we narrowed in on those two goals and and really smashed that out of the park. Again, still lots to be doing to make sure that looker can be used to its full potential and is using the right used in the right way. But ultimately, I think. I think we did a brilliant job. Yeah,
0: uh, you, I mean, look, it sounds like one of the key reasons for for success, from from what I'm hearing, anyway, is that that ability and, and that process of you taking your stakeholders on that journey from the get go. It wasn't just here's your final product. We've changed from Chartio to Looker. It's explaining the why, keeping them involved in that in that process. That enables them to have have buy in and be excited mm. about what's what's to come. Mm. You mentioned your migration was obviously uh, you know, a few years ago, I think, now. Um,
1: yes. Ever since 2020, I feel like I, <laughs> I struggled to remember <laughs> timelines <laughs> and days, because so that was such a weird... But yeah, I guess it would have been uh, 20, 2022, maybe, yeah. is that
0: right? But what's been the end result? That's what i think keen to, mm-hmm. you know, how, how have you guys looked? You know, you've said it's been a huge success. Mm-hmm. Are you able to quantify, you know, why it's been a success?
1: So, yes, and this is where I'm going to look at my little notes for my numbers. But basically, the way that we quantified success, certainly in the run-up, was so we had a, we had a way of measuring business continuity, which actually is not very scientific. It was just, you know, how many people are screaming at us? <laughs> and what You know, are there any incidents? How uh, many th-
0: fires did you have to put out? Exactly.
1: And I think we literally had... I really think maybe it was one, you know, there was one thing where there'd been a little bit of a miscommunication, but again, it was something we were able to solve in a single day. You know, this was not like a big thing. There was, again, Jono may, may remember something else, but it was, yeah, there was really hardly anything. So we felt really confident about that. In terms of managing expectations, we actually sent out a survey. We just asked people and said, hey, you know, this is what happened. You know, how informed did you feel? Were there any, I can't remember the questions we asked, but it was maybe just a couple.
0: Yeah.
1: Basically trying to what, determine what. What's this.
0: your thoughts on the tool? How, how was the exactly. migration?
1: Precisely. And um, again, I'm not saying everybody was throwing flowers at our feet, but actually there was, it was just overwhelmingly positive, more so than we actually even really expect, expected, just because of the very nature of these things. People don't like change. It's disruptive. It's annoying. So we felt really great with the... With the results there, I'm trying to think. Yeah, so we had, we also did some things like, um, so training was an aspect of it. So we had created a group of power users. And so they were really instrumental into helping Looker be embedded and so on and so forth. So we had like 35 power users trained over a program of four sessions. We'd had, you know, 250 viewers booked for training with about 200 already trained you know so these were some of the numbers that we were using and we also started looking of course at adoption so i think at the time we had a really great adoption rate i don't know what the what the what the numbers are looking like now but given the given the fact that we're having to constantly manage our our uh, licensed users (laughs) yeah exactly it shows that the demand is quite high but we had something like seventy-five percent of people who basically could log in to Looker and use it were doing so within, like you know, the first week or two, which I think
0: is amazing, pretty yeah. awesome.
1: So again, we were kind of tracking multiple metrics to see how it went, and yeah, it, it was. I think we have a lot to be proud of.
0: Amazing. Well, it sounds like it's been incredibly successful, and yeah, instrumental in helping to, to de democratize data. And, and as we said at the beginning. It, you know, it's not all about the tools. It's I think the processes that you put in place and your your ability to communicate with the business, mm. which really enabled the tool to be a success. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely something for, for people to consider when migrating from any tool. I think, you know, it's not specific to, to look up. Mm-hmm. McKinley, I'm, I'm, I'm cautious of time, but there's <laughs> one quick area I'd just like to, to understand. I understand that you guys, you mentioned it already, you, you've set up a Data Academy, and I'd just like to, I suppose, understand a bit more about that. And...
1: Yes, please. Let me talk about Data Academy. I'm very happy about it. So we launched it uh, September 18th, so it's, oh my gosh, one day away from being a month old. Yeah. Oh. Um, so it was always something that we had planned under the data democratization banner. And as I already said, we, we sort of did a sort of fledgling version of it with Looker, you know, this training and so on and so forth. But this is data upskilling on a whole nother level. We've created 15 workshops and nine online resources in total, and we have more planned. They are all developed and run by SMEs within the business, led by a phenomenal learning and development program manager, who, again, is sort of masterminding the whole project. Her name is Rosie Blamey, for anybody who's listening and wants to give her some credit, but she's brawl. And again, this is another situation in which we've just had a phenomenal response. Again, this is less than one month after launch. We've had over 500 signups. And that number actually could be larger. It's only held back because of capacity issues. We literally just can't do any more than that. The current average feedback score is 9.3 out of 10. And our average facilitator score Anna, is 9.7, also out of 10, which is just really brilliant. And we've even seen evidence of people uh, attending multiple sessions, which again, I think, shows the quality of our content. So this is all brilliant. And again, it's just, it's another way in which we are just trying to make sure that, you know, everybody at the FT who wants to make data-driven decisions, you know, has the means to do so. And skills is a huge part of that. So we're very pleased with it so far.
0: Brilliant. It sounds like it's already been a a huge success, obviously very early days, but Mm. the the core goal is obviously giving the the business a a place which is where, where they can discover data. Um, Absolutely. So great. I mean, the, the metrics already sound sound great, but unfortunately, I'm sure we could talk for hours, but we're, we're running out of time, but I would actually love to, to come back six, 12 months time and, and maybe yes. discuss the, the Data Academy in, in more depth and see how it's, how it's progressed and, and where you're at.
1: I will be taking over the world by then. Yeah, <laughs> <I> No, <know>, That <laughs> sounds great. Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, before you go.
1: Oh yes, that's right.
0: There's the quick fire round of questions. Um, Uh, so yeah, just to help, uh, essentially listeners, um, progress in their, their career. So the first question is how do you really assess a job opportunity and how do you know it's the right move?
1: Okay. I feel like everybody listening to this is going to just think of me as the categories queen, but I once had a really brilliant mentor way back when I was driven just by raw ambition I still am a little bit but (laughs) I was certainly back then and I remember her I I was giving her all of my my hopes and dreams just saying about how I wanted to be some tremendous success and she just said what does that mean to you can you can you break those that that down what does that
0: mean what is success
1: exactly like what are you talking about money are you talking about you know prestige are you talking about great family life like what are, what are, what are the components and i remember thinking like what is, what is she asking me like <laughs> just mind blowing success surely that's simple enough but she's absolutely right you have to think about what does that really mean actually you know are you motivated by becoming super wealthy or is it that you want respect from your peers or you know a larger awareness project. Absolutely. Or are you just interested in growing your skill set and learning things? I think it is not a trivial exercise to really jot these things down and have some sort of, come on, we're all data people. So some sort of weighting attached to these things and just be assessing that on a regular basis. And so I kind of do that informally in my head. And so every time there is a new opportunity, I'm reflecting on that list and saying, okay, well, what's my current position? You know, how do I feel I sort of score on these components? You know, what are the gaps? Does this opportunity give me something that I don't have that I really value? But is it also equal on the other things that I currently have? And that's, that's sort of my system.
0: Brilliant, I think that's you know, great. If you're able to, to understand what success is for yourself, you can then identify it exactly. a, a, in your career. So what is your best advice for people in an interview? This
1: is gonna sound really basic, but I, I do feel like I see a lot of people not do this, but just like do your research. For goodness sake, like just know something about the organization that you are applying for. And I'm just so surprised at how many people seem to waltz in and just I mean, yeah, okay, maybe they know the basics, but you know, just just take a step back. Think about like, what do you what do you think that this team is trying to achieve? What do you think the their role is in the long-term success? What are the pressures or opportunities facing the industry? I, I just think, you know, you don't need to come in with a thesis, but like just have some ideas, some interesting questions.
0: What are their pain points and how are you going to add value to them?
1: Yeah, and just, and be human about it, right? You know, just ask, yeah, I think, you know, please don't look up, you know, top three questions to ask an interviewer. (laughs) You know, I just you know, really use your own creativity and think, you know, what interests you? And, and also finally, if you're not into the job, just save everybody some time and just like, don't go for it. Like, again, I feel like I've sometimes, not often, most people are really keen, but every once in a while, you'll get somebody who just doesn't seem all that bothered. And it's like,
0: why Why? Are be, you here? why, why be
1: here? Just, just don't bother. It's not a problem. Just don't bother.
0: Couldn't, so yeah. couldn't agree more. And final one, McKinley, If you could recommend one resource to the audience to help them upskill,
1: Okay, so I talk about this book all the time. Um, It is the rather hilariously titled 52 Things We Wish Someone Had Told Us About Customer Analytics um, by Alex and Mike Sherman. And it is forgive me, Mike and Alex, but a little bit of an unprepossessing book. Uh, it's not very big, but it, it is. I think it is just the Bible for anybody who wants to use data to drive action. And th- you could be a data practitioner, you could be in marketing, you could be in any discipline, but it's just anybody trying to use data to to drive decisions. I just think this is an incredible handbook. Each chapter, you know, some chapters are only like a page and a half long because they've just really distilled the essence and just made everything Really focused and actionable. I just think it's heaven, and I I always keep it on my table for <laughs> inspiration. <laughs>
0: amazing, amazing. Well, uh, we'll put a link for for the book in the in the notes as well. Sounds like a, a good one. But again, McKinley, thank you so much for your time. It's been a, been a pleasure to to uncover your role and, and yeah the impact that you're driving, and I think really valuable for for the audience and to how they can enable the the business with data in in their own organizations. So thank you. Matt. thank you. See you next week, everyone. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I really hope you've learned something. I know I have. The Stack Podcast aims to share real journeys and lessons that empower you and the entire community. Together, we aim to unlock new perspectives and overcome challenges in the ever evolving landscape of modern data. Today's episode was brought to you by Cognify, the recruitment partner for modern data teams. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit that follow button to stay updated with our latest releases. More importantly, if you believe this episode could benefit someone you know, please share it with them. We're always on the lookout for new guests who have inspiring stories and valuable lessons to share with our community. If you or someone you know fits that bill, please don't hesitate to reach out. I've been Harry Gollop from Cognify, your host and guide on this data-driven journey. Until next time, over and out.